0: Guess what, Lions? For as little as five dollars a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to LionsOfLiberty.com/support.
1: Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt.
0: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is great to have you back here with me for another edition of Felony Friday here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Felony Friday, for those of you who don't know, we do a uh, weekly look at injustice here in the criminal justice system. And this is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. We have a show every Monday hosted by Mark Clare, where he interviews leading minds in the liberty movement, where he hosts roundtable discussions. And then every Wednesday, we have our newest show, Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams, a uh, weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. Brian is doing an awesome job with that show. It's really entertaining. And you can get all three of these shows by subscribing to one podcast feed, the Lions of Liberty podcast, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, and subscribe, and you get all three of these shows, three for the price of one, except there's no price, it's free, so that's even better, right? This is the 90th episode. Of Felony Friday. So that means you're gonna be able to find the show notes with links and notes to everything that I'm gonna talk about with my guest today at lionsofliberty.com/slash FF90. Let's get right into this interview. My guest today on Felony Friday is Shane Claiborne. Shane is a Christian activist and author who is one of the founding members of the intentional community, The Simple Way, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's a graduate of Eastern University, where he studied sociology and youth ministry. Shane has an impressive resume, and just to name a couple things, he worked alongside Mother Teresa during a 10-week term in Calcutta, and he spent three weeks in Baghdad with the Iraq Peace Team, where he took daily trips to sites where there had been bombings, visited hospitals and families, and attended worship services during the war. Shane was featured in the documentary, The Ordinary Radicals, and he co-directed the three-volume Another World is Possible series. In 2011, he declared his unwillingness to pay taxes to fund U.S. military interventions, and he did this by withholding a portion of his income taxes that was meant to correspond with the percentage that the federal government would, would spend on military, and instead he donated that money to charity. And Shane is the author of the book *Executing Grace: How the Death Penalty Killed Jesus and Why It's Killing Us*. Shane, thank you for coming on Felony Friday.
1: Yeah, man, it's great to be with you, and I'm uh, glad to glad to be able to share some thoughts on your show here, man.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. I know you have a, a busy schedule, so it's great to, to get a little time with you. And like we talked about, I, most of the time, I do want to talk about. Uh, the death penalty and your view on it, the Christian view on it, and and why and why it's the the right view to be against the death penalty in the first place. That I heard about you, a listener of of this show, uh, sent me your appearance on Bob Murphy's Christian Libertarian podcast. So that, that's the first I heard of you, and I've been been listening to uh, a couple of your shows ever since then. And I know you don't identify as a libertarian, but the more I've gotten to know about your background, I think we do align in a couple areas, most notably with the, the anti-war stance and also uh, you know, being against funding the war, which I think a lot of libertarians would agree with that. And I'd like to talk about that um, later on in the show if we have time. But like I said, let's start out with, uh, if we can, by focusing, talking about the death penalty. So.
1: Absolutely. Hey, there's worse things I've been called than a libertarian, let me tell you. No. <laughs> hey,
0: hey, hey. <laughs> no, no, that might, that might not go no, over well good. with the audience here. No, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> but but uh, I think I'm mean, a good place to start. Let's start with the death penalty. And I'm, I'm curious myself, because I don't know if I've heard you really talk about this. How did your view of the death penalty evolve? Was there some sort of specific moment or a case that, that moved you to really take another look at this?
1: Oh, a- absolutely. I, and I should start by saying I, I spent a lot of my life uh, in favor of the death penalty, not only in favor of it, but convinced that uh, it was uh, ordained by God and had its roots in Scripture. Um, and there are a lot of things that, that uh, um, um, shifted in me, but I, I'll say it began by hearing the stories of people who were directly affected by the death penalty. Um, and now many of them are my friends. I, I had the honor of sharing many of their stories and executing grace. But I uh, have gotten to know many people who were wrongfully convicted um, and put on death row for crimes they had nothing to do with. Friends like my, de- my friend Derek Jameson, who spent 20 years on death row, had six execution dates, saw dozens of his friends executed um, before uh, finally uh, forcing the prosecution to release all the evidence. And 34 pieces of evidence proved his innocence and he was released. Um, and, and so it's stories, you know, like those of, the, of those who were um, innocent and, and wrongfully convicted that uh, raised a question for me. Of how much we trust our government, you know, with the irreversible power of life and death, um, uh, imperfect institutions that you can't undo, uh, you know, you can't bring someone back from the dead. Um, And yet we know for every nine executions that we've gone through with, there's been one exoneration. I mean, that's a terrible record. You know, if, if one of every 10 planes that took off crashed, we'd be like, whoa, let's stop flying, ground the planes, you know? So I think there's that issue. Um, but there's there's also the connection um, uh, of, of between, it's impossible to talk about the death penalty without also talking about uh, our history around race and slavery. Um, and um, uh, the, the states that, have held on to the death penalty the longest, are the same states that held on to slavery the longest. Um, where executions are happening today is exactly where lynchings were happening a uh, hundred years ago. And so there's, there's definitely this, this kind of descendancy from lynching to the death penalty. And, and just to give you one more shot, uh, snapshot of that, um, in 1950, African-Americans were like 22% of the population of, in the U.S., but there were 75% of all executions were African-Americans. And you you kind of fast forward 70 years or so, and, and uh, African-Americans are about 13% of the population, but they still make up almost half of death row, and over a third of all executions are African-Americans. And so I think we can see, you know, sometimes we, we're thinking, well, there's just those cases where it's the worst of the worst, you know, and we, we need to hold out the possibility of the death penalty. And yet the closer you look, you see that we're not killing the worst of the worst. We're, we're killing the poorest of the poor and often, um, uh, people of color, uh, that, that some of the biggest determinants of who actually gets executed is not the atrocity of the crime, but it's, um, the resources of the defendant, the race of the victim uh, and things like geography, where, where uh, the, the crime was committed. So there, there's you know, so many different things as I really uh, leaned into this issue. Um, but there's, th- th- this is the other thing, is that when it comes to the death penalty, it wouldn't stand a chance in America if it weren't for Christians. That Christians uh, have been the moral backbone and the theological justification for the death penalty – So while the states in the confederacy are where the death penalty happens, it's also the Bible belt is the death belt. Um, And and that breaks my heart because the more I look at Jesus and the more I look at scripture, I see that the the message couldn't be further from that. Uh, And and the message at the heart of my faith as a Christian is no one is beyond redemption. That Jesus came not uh, for the righteous, but for the sinners, for those who are, you know, and, and, and you look at scripture and one of the first murderers was none other than Moses. He killed a man in the book of Exodus. And David killed Uriah to cover up the terrible things he did with Bathsheba. Um, Saul of Tarsus, you know, uh, went door to door trying to kill and torture Christians. And so I, I believe, you know, grace gets the last word and the Bible would be a lot shorter without it. So uh, I, but, I, but I really um, hope more and more Christians will be on the right side of history on this issue.
0: Why do you think it is that so many Christians favor the death penalty? Are, are they basing it on the Bible? Is, is there? Is, are they misinterpreting teachings in the Bible?
1: Uh, I, absolutely, I think so. I think we, we, you know, I still have a very high view of Scripture, and I think that's uh, part of the problem is is a certain way of reading Scripture where. Um, Uh, We we say, well, the death penalty is in Scripture. But as you look closer at the specifics of the death penalty in the Old Testament, um, it wasn't just capital murder that you had the death penalty for, but there are over 30 death-worthy crimes, which included um, different forms of sexual immorality. Uh, It included uh, even things like working on the Sabbath. I mean, I think a lot of folks would be in trouble. I always say everybody but Chick Fil A would be in trouble, you know, because they <laughs> close on Sunday. But uh, you know, like disrespecting your parents, these were capital crimes, um, and so I think we've read the scripture in a certain light, and and, and there is this precedent uh, in scripture of uh, one way of thinking about justice: uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and we we've misunderstood, that's one of the most well-known verses of the Bible, and I think it's also one of the most misused verses uh, of the Bible, um, because it was a very ancient way, a philosophy of justice, that you could do reciprocal harm. So in as much as someone harmed you, you could return that harm, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But we've come to see it as a license for revenge, which I think is exactly the opposite of what its intention was. It was meant to limit retaliation. So, you know, if someone broke your arm, you couldn't go break both of their arms and burn down their mom's house. I mean, it, it was to stop the spiral of violence. And, and, you know, we think in our world today, you think, wow, we, we wouldn't actually break someone's arm that broke a person's arm. We, we don't rape people who rape to show that rape is wrong. But somehow in the, in the most extreme case of murder, we still hold out this idea that you can kill someone to show that killing is wrong. And uh, I think a lot of us are questioning that because you 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 mirror the very evil that was done to you. You exacerbate the wounds. You you um, create a new set of victims, and it doesn't bring the promises uh, of closure and things like that. And it's murder victims' families, uh, family members that have taught me that, and they're they're some of the most amazing people that have endured uh, things I can't even imagine that have taught me there are better ways forward to honor the victims of violence without creating more violence. And of course, you know, let I me mean, say, too, that there's Jesus here, you know. <laughs> and and uh, uh, my, my friend Dale Resinelli he says every pro-death penalty Christian has the nagging problem of Jesus to deal with. Um, because Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you this. He says, Moses told you this, but I tell you this. You You may have a right to return that harm, but don't even do it just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. And I think that idea that we can do better than harming the person who harmed us is is one of the core teachings of Jesus. Uh, So, you know, I I still love the scripture and I love diving back into it. And it's actually become a big part of my momentum in opposing the death penalty.
0: Something you, you touched on right there, talk about the families of victims. Um, who've who've really been been pushed aside, not been listened to, not been given a voice when they've spoken out against the people that actually either harmed or or killed one of their loved ones, saying that they don't want that person to have the death penalty. Um, Are there specific cases of this that, that you can cite?
1: There's there's tons of specific cases, and uh, I, I cite some of them in, in my book. Uh, one of them is a, a someone who's become an incredible friend and a hero of mine, uh, Suzanne Bossler, who her dad uh, was a pastor, um, and uh, their 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 home was invaded, and this man um, uh, stabbed her father to death. Um, And stabbed her multiple times in the head. She actually um, kind of faked her own death in order to survive the scene, Um, and she came away from that um, still deeply compelled that violence wasn't the solution. Violence was the problem. And her dad, being a pastor, said she said he would never want to be on. He would never want me to honor his life by trying to take someone else's life. So she, during the sentencing. Uh, stated her opinion that she didn't want the death penalty for the person that they knew had uh, uh, perpetrated the crime. Um, In court, she was absolutely silenced. In fact, the judge threatened her with contempt of court, um, uh, uh, obstruction of justice, and she was told she could be jailed and given fines if she voiced her opinion on the death penalty. And that's an extreme case, but there's all kinds of iterations of that where victims who didn't fit the narrative of a victim that was for the death penalty that said, I want justice for the person that did this. And by that, they mean execution. When it doesn't fit that narrative, that person is really pushed aside or silenced. sometimes with an official gag order. Um, Other times they're just not given the same platform and services and uh, because it's the state seeking the death penalty. So if the victim's family uh, isn't in line with that, then their, their voice is really marginalized, which you know goes on just to continue to exacerbate those wounds and to sort of the helplessness that you feel already as a victim anyway. So we've, we've even had cases where the, the, the court uh, ruled, that the immediate family members were not victims in the traditional sense of the word victim, because they had to have a category for saying uh, these people don't fit our narrative.
0: Yeah, something that uh, I think in in my personal evolution to, because I used to like you, you know, I I used to be in favor of the death penalty, in favor of you know, I thought it was I thought it was justice, the the right thing to do. And I think I think where I started to evolve was when I looked at abortion. I'm I'm, I'm pro life regarding ab- abortion. And I've heard you talk about this, too, that being consistently pro-life across the board, even even with people that have committed horrible acts. And a way that I look at it is even though someone has committed a horrible act, killed someone, if you're in favor of stopping out their life and ending their life, you are essentially saying that they can't add – any, there's no chance of them adding any value. There's no chance of them turning their life around. Is that something that you think is will, would resonate with, with Christians looking at it from that perspective?
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I heard someone recently say, uh, the only place that you can be pro-death penalty, pro-war, pro-guns, pro-drones, and still call yourself pro-life is America. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. and So I think one of the most urgently needed things is a consistent ethic of life, to say that every single person is made in the image of God and of immeasurable value, and anything that squashes uh, that life uh, and that dignity is, is, is destroying God's image in the world. Um, but the problem is we don't have a, a political party or platform or candidates that are operating under that umbrella and I think that's part of the I, I think you know what what really surfaced in this last election where you have many people that are just voting on one issue um, but for me I, I think what what's uh, deeply troubling is is that that pro-life has come often just just mean anti-abortion or pro-birth um, but I think to be pro-life means, I mean, that, that's what compels me uh, in, in so much of our work. Uh, pro-life is, it means standing uh, against abortion. It also means standing against gun violence and standing for black lives and being a part of the, the movement for black lives and standing against militarism and war, um, caring for the creation. You know, I think all that can come under an umbrella of, of pro-life and we really, really need that. Um, oh, I'm seeing a lot of studies among young uh, people and young Christians in particular, which is, that is their operating framework, is an ethic of life, uh, or as we, we like to say, uh, pro-life from womb to tomb, you know, from the cradle to the grave, that we, we really believe in that.
0: You were talking before about being skeptical of state intervention. And as, as libertarians, you know, my audience is, is going to be on board with that. I, I think, though, that a lot of Christians really— in my experience, a lot of Christians that I've met and, and talked with is that they favor state intervention as long as it it uh, influences people in a direction that that they agree with. And is, I mean, the problem with that is you find yourself intervening in people's lives, not not really in a in a loving way, in, in a way that could actually really help them, but in a in a way to. Th- th- from a, a third party, from from the state coming in using force, using coercion to uh, to change to change their actions, is is this where where does that come from? Where does that where where did I guess where did Christians get off track going to to the state in order to to try to change people for the better, or or, or did they get off track? I mean, is is that something you think that for the the, the majority of Christians are are in the wrong with that perspective?
1: Well, I don't know the exact date, but I I have a hunch it was around 1600 years ago, you know, and <laughs> because I think that what did happen was you had this marginalized movement of people who were largely persecuted by the state, you know, Jesus that died at the hands of the state. Uh, 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 the Roman Empire is this deep oppressive uh, uh, colonizing force in the world. And um, and and uh, that group began to gain credibility and power, and the Christian movement began to embrace some of that power and moved from being the persecuted to the persecutors, um, kind of exchanged the, the cross for the sword. Um, and, and, you know, there are some critiques that that didn't happen in a moment. It happened in a, a movement over time, but um, I believe that, What was so beautiful and is so beautiful about Christianity at its best is we are aligning our lives with this person who was born a a, a refugee. Jesus was born in the middle of a a genocide by King Herod, killing the little boys in the land. Um, He died executed on the cross um, which was only a symbol of torture and horror and violence and intimidation and humiliation, and it's that—that's the framework for that. That's who we worship, <laughs> you know. And so I think we have lost our our way and said, you know, we we actually want uh, some of that power, and we end up losing uh, sight of I think where our primary allegiance is. And I, I think being a Christian is very much about. Um, having our uh, identity transformed by Christ. And so our values are different. How we think about possessions are different. How we think about um, uh, our enemies or or violence or conflict is different because we hear Jesus saying, love your enemies. And I've come to just uh, find it impossible to love my enemies and simultaneously prepare to kill them. So I, I think it causes us to be peculiar people in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It it would be nice to see Christians as, as leaders in putting an end to the death penalty, and putting an end to the war on drugs, and putting an end to a lot of these things that have really uh, torn this pun- torn this country apart and really caused some division in this country, especially along along ra- racial lines with with the war on drugs. So yeah, hopefully that's something that can change. Um, that's that's one of the reasons that that I do this podcast, but.
1: I think so. I mean, I think mass incarceration is, is, you know, the, the, the kind of evolution from slavery to mass incarceration is certainly one of the, the most urgent uh, things in our world. I mean, it's not just mass incarceration, but I think, you know, the Confederate monuments, there's, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, hatred and white supremacy that's out there right now. So we need to be a force, you know, for, for love and for healing. And the beginning of that healing, I think is being honest about our history and what we've done to African Americans and native people um, and, and now, you know, the reality is one in three African-American boys born today, one in three, uh, can expect to go to prison unless something changes. So, I mean, that, 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 is a, uh, that has an urgency to it that we, we can't uh, just remain apathetic through this time.
0: Absolutely. And you're a guy that, that not only has you know got involved in, in positive change in the United States here in, in your local community, you've also gone... Across the globe, you've spent time in Iraq, in uh, in Baghdad, and I'm, I'm curious, what what led you to uh, to want to go over to Baghdad with the Iraq Peace Team?
1: Well, it may may kind of feel like we're we're you know all over the world on these topics, but the fact is they're they're very. Uh uh, uh, integrated, you know, they intersect. And and Dr. Martin Luther King said, the giant triplets in the world today, he said this 50 years ago, Dr. King said, the giant triplets are racism, materialism, and militarism. And I think, my gosh, like, part of what led me to Iraq, um, I mean, originally, was uh, hearing about families that Uh, had lost their loved ones in 9-11. And um, one of the things that this group, September 11th Families for Peaceful Tomorrows, did was they they got together as a support group to grieve uh, uh, 9-11. But then as they saw the response of the war in Iraq, um, their prayer became, um, our grief is not a cry for war. And they went on delegations as, as you know, murder victims, family members from 9-11. Like they, they went to Iraq and Afghanistan, and they came back with these incredible stories of healing um, and, and truth-telling. And people that in Iraq and Afghanistan that sent gifts back to the, the families that had lost their loved ones in 9-11. And, and to me, that looked redemptive. It looked a lot like Jesus. Um, and so I, I went to Iraq, um, and the first time I went was in March of 2003, uh, which we didn't exactly know at the time, but I, I ended up being there during, uh, the shock and awe campaign during the bombing of Baghdad. Um, and, uh, I was there with an amazing group of people that included doctors and nurses and veterans and pastors, grandmothers and students. And, uh, we volunteered in hospitals. We met with Iraqi families. Um, and we, we basically said, uh, uh, no matter what our government does to your country, we want to continue to stand against all violence and to be here with you. And so we, we saw some really horrific things, but I I also um, experienced some of my, my deepest, most transformative uh, uh, encounters with, with grace and and humility and hope.
0: So did that, did that experience or, or how much of that experience caused you to want to take the, this next step that I'm going to talk about where you actually, walk the walk where you put your money where your mouth was and really took on the IRS, took on the federal government. And by withholding a portion of your taxes that you figured out what percentage would would go to uh, the military budget.
1: So, so there's, I mean, there's the whole faith side of this too. I I, I should say that when the bomb started falling on Baghdad, we gathered for a prayer meeting with thousands of Christians from all over Iraq and and, in that region. And, um, and, and one of the things that they did was they pointed to the cross and they said, this cross doesn't make any sense to the smart bombs or the ways of this world, but it teaches us another way to interact with violence without becoming violent. Um, and they, everybody sang Amazing Grace in Arabic. And I was so moved. I went up to one of the bishops and I said, I had no idea that there were so many Christians in Iraq. And I'll never forget the, this bishop's response. He goes, yeah, this is where Christianity started. And then he, he says, you know, this is the land of your ancestors. Uh, you, he pointed down the street and he goes, the Garden of Eden was right down there. Do you understand that? You know, and he said, you didn't invent Christianity in America. You guys just domesticated it. And he said, you go back and you tell the church in America that we are praying for them to remember who they are. So that, I mean, that was an amazing thing. But what I also learned in Iraq was not just about my own faith, but I learned about the roots of some of this violence that we see in the world. And uh, one one Iraqi man, he said to me, well, you know that Saddam Hussein has some weapons because you have the receipts from them in your country. And, you know, I came to find out that the bell helicopters that uh, Saddam Hussein used to gas the Kurds, this horrific thing that he did, um, they came from the United States. And it, you start to take a closer look at this and you see that, the U S has dealt weapons to like 80% of the world. Um, and and then we see those weapons turned on us at some points. And, and it's kind of like if I were selling guns to kids in my neighborhood and going, don't use them, (laughs) you know, here's a gun. I'm going to make a little quick money, but don't, don't shoot anybody and certainly don't shoot us, you know? And Jesus said, you pick up the sword, you die by the sword. And I think we've seen the truth of that over and over. Um, So that, I mean, that's certainly one of the things, you know, as many of the people there had lived through the Iran-Contra scandal where, you know, we've made money off of these conflicts. I mean, even to this day, we're still, I mean, does anybody wonder why we're still selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, right? (laughs) I mean, like 15 of the 19 folks that we know were responsible for 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia and we devastated uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and still sell weapons to Saudi Arabia. So I think you see that. Um, and, and in our own budget, you know, Dr. King said uh, a country that spends more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching a spiritual death. And I look at the disproportionate amount of money that's going towards militarism and outside of the budget, too. I just think of the, the atrocity of these weapons that there are you know, around 15,000 nuclear weapons in the world and we own half of them. I mean, that, that limits our credibility when we talk about, you know, uh, North Korea or Iran or whatever. is it, The only country that's ever used a nuclear weapon on a civilian population is us. You know, and we did it twice in one week. We killed hundreds of thousands of people. And now we have the capacity of 50,000 Hiroshima bombs. I mean, it only takes like, my understanding is it only takes like 100 nuclear weapons to make the world uninhabitable. And we, we have the capacity of 50,000 Hiroshima bombs. Um, and you think, I'm not even sure that we should have one of those, you know, um, much less, you know, how many times do we need to blow up the world? And how much do we trust our, our government? How much do we trust trust Donald Trump or anyone else with that power? So, yeah, it raises some really uh, important issues for me, um, both as a human being But also especially as a follower of Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, you know, and said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be, you know, called the children of God.
0: So what what response have you gotten from the IRS?
1: Well, so what I did was I did withhold the portion of my money that would go towards military spending. And I donated it to groups working for peace and um It was interesting. I I believe in transparency. So I I wrote a letter fully disclosing that and, uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm willing to voluntarily suffer the consequences of, of whatever, you know, the blowback is from that. Um, so I, my first letter was really interesting. <laughs> it said, it said, we're, we're, we're still considering what you've told us. So I got this letter back. It was basically like, you know, give us a little more time. And then I got, and my next letter was, we've done a thorough review of this and we found that we owe you money. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that's the irony. I mean, now my dilemma became like, am I going to cash a check from the IRS, you know, or from the government? But, uh, um, I guess they said that I made so li- such little income, I qualified for uh, you know uh, some kind of uh, refund rebate. I don't know, but um, um, but the point being, you know, I you know some of my my Christian brothers and sisters will say, well, you know, the scripture says give to Caesar what Caesar's. But what happens in that encounter in the Gospels is incredible. It's one, it's a beautiful, stunning story where the tax collectors come to Jesus and they say, you know, uh, where are your taxes? And he tells them to go get a fish and it'll have the money in its mouth. And it makes a whole parody of the power and it makes a spectacle even of their question because he he goes, you know, it's kind of like, oh, Caesar can have the coins he made with his image on them. Like I made the fish, I made the creation, you know, (laughs) and I love it because it transcends that and says, what, what is, what is Caesar's, you know? And I love how Dorothy Day says, uh, once we've given to God, what's God's. There's not a whole lot left for Caesar. And in the end, I think uh, the question is, what is Caesar entitled to? And I don't think that we should give Caesar the power over life and death.
0: I I agree with you there. And Shane, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and and spending time with my audience here and and sharing. This has been a a lot of fun for me. And I just want to give you the opportunity now to talk about and, and share where my audience can, can find your work, where they can learn more about you, where they can, where they can buy your book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope folks that, that use social media, you can sure join me. I try to uh, keep folks updated on Facebook and Twitter uh, at my name, Shane Claiborne. Um, and, and you can see more information on, on books and my travel schedule and everything on my website, Shane Um And uh yeah, so we, we've got a whole bunch of different speakers and writers that all contribute on a website called redletterchristians.org, uh, and uh, you can find us there, too.
0: All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Shane.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview with Shane Claiborne. I uh, had a lot of fun talking to him, and I know this is a very controversial subject, the death penalty Always controversial. Last time I talked about it on Felony Friday, probably over a year ago, I got a lot of feedback in the forum. A lot of people, a lot of libertarians, conservatives, uh, saying how in favor of uh, how they would never waver and how in favor they were of the death penalty and in circumstances like murder and rape and just horrible, heinous crimes, how they could never imagine um, they could never imagine moving from that position. So I I know that, I mean, I know that obviously everyone that listens is not a Christian like myself. I know everyone is not going to be moved, obviously, by Shane's arguments, by biblical arguments, by things like that. But I think even within those arguments, there is a lot of things that can be taken away. A lot of common sense, a a lot of rational, a lot of rational viewpoints on this. And I think that the clearest way to look at this from a libertarian, from a libertarian perspective is... Shane cited out of every 10 people who are you know who go to death row and who are put to death who receive the death penalty one of those people is exonerated so you got a uh, 90% uh, correct rate as as far as as far as uh, the stats say that's that's terrible and that's that's unacceptable but it's not surprising for anyone who listens to this show with any regularity you have a great understanding of how flawed and unjust our criminal justice system is, how it's not set up to actually get to the root and find the truth of what happened in a case so often, far too often. It's just set out to prove the prosecutors, the state's narrative to validate that they're not looking for truth. They're looking for, they're looking to justify their actions. They're looking to justify their uh, their response. They're looking to justify their narrative of the case, what they believe happened. And that's not to say that that doesn't align sometimes with the truth. But the way our system is set up, unfortunately, it's it's easy for that to to miss the mark. It's easy for free people to end up in prison, to spend a life in prison, to be put on death row. It happens far too often. And as Shane pointed out, it happens far more often to minorities, to people of color, than it does to white people. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the bottom line is, this is something that has to change. And I think me personally, and maybe I'm wrong, I think libertarians and and Christians, I know you're not all Christians, but I'm a Christian, should be leaders on this. Because I think it's clear. I think it's decisive. I think it's a very principled stance to be taken here. That's all I'm going to say on that. I encourage you all to check out Shane's work. Been on several podcasts. Check out his appearance on Bob Murphy's Christian Libertarian podcast. That was a really really good episode. And, and Bob Bob gets more into asking questions uh, you know, about the scripture, about the Bible. Bob gets more into it from that perspective because that's his show is a, is a Christian show. So if you're coming at it looking for more of that background, I'll uh, I'll put Bob's show on the show notes page. So check that out. And guys, if you enjoy this show, if you like what we're doing here, if you like Mark's show on Monday, Brian's show on Wednesday, my show on Friday, if you like just one of them or all three of them, and if you want to hear more, if you want us to if you want us to expand the reach of this show, if you if you want this show to actually have the impact that we believe it can have, then we need your help. And I don't, I'm not saying that lightly. I, it's a, it's a fact. We need your help. We're at a point right now where we have a lot of people in our in our support group and our lines lines of Liberty Pride. The people that donate to us every month, which helps us to keep the lights on, lines of Liberty, uh, buy you know we, we bought new recording equipment, stuff like that. But we're at the point now. If we want to grow, we need more people. We need more people in the Pride. We need more funds in order to advertise, in order to do things like that. So. You can do that at three levels: twenty-five dollars, ten dollars, or five dollars. Twenty-five dollars, you get all the bells and whistles. You get a monthly conference call with us, which we have coming up very soon here this month. Um, you get two free T-shirts, free koozie, huge discount at the Lines of Liberty store. You get in our secret Facebook group. Ten dollars, you don't get the conference call, but you get everything else. You get one free T-shirt. You, you, know, you get a little bit less of a discount in the store $5. You don't get the free stuff. You do get all of our exclusive content, which you get the exclusive content, obviously at the 10 and $25 and our exclusive content. We have a recurring conspiracy theory round table. We've had several episodes of that extra episodes of this show felony Friday. We'll play. Is this a crime a couple times just for the, uh, the pride members look at some cases there. Yeah, we, we have all kinds of stuff. Uh, Mark often has his guests on, and we will let the Pride members ask extra questions. We'll publish that just to the Pride. Uh, We'll release episodes early to the Pride. So it's, it's great, and it's for just $5 a month, you can get it all. And the biggest thing is really, it's nice, it's extra content for you, but if you like this show and you want it to grow and get better, better, bigger, and to get huge, then we need more money, and we need to grow. So I really want to encourage you to think about doing that. Go to allianceoflibertycom slash support. Just one more note, guys. Please go to Donor C. Uh, Donor C is the Donor C founded by Greg Glyer. Outstanding app. It's a way to raise money for Projects for people in in need all across the world where you can actually see your money go to work. Uh, Your donations don't get caught up in administrative waste and crap like that, like the Red Cross. They go right to the people in need. You get to see the project as it's done, as it's built. You get to see the people's lives change. It's an amazing, amazing app. And I want to encourage you to download it and find some projects you like and donate to them. We'll sponsor them from time to time. We have been sponsoring one for a listener of this show, Daniel Lee. Maybe that'll be funded by the time this airs. If it's not, then definitely donate to Daniel Lee's project. He, uh, him and his family members had some pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bad damage from that flooding in Houston several weeks ago. So check that out. And that's all I got, guys. I really want to thank you for listening to today's show. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is a liberty burning